Hi, everyone. Welcome to Altitude Accelerator. This is Tech Uncensored, and this is actually our premier show. My name is Hesse Jones, and we are at the Metaverse and 5G Conference in Toronto. Today, we'll be speaking to a few innovators who are working in this burgeoning field within the Web3 umbrella. And uh, I'd like to introduce our first guest. His name is Lauren Sugarman. Nice, nice to, to meet, meet you. you. And he is the CEO of the Metaverse Group. So these are going to be a fairly short interviews, but I wanted to give you a, a taste of the kind of talent that we're talking to here at the conference. So Lauren, you consider yourself a Web3 company. Correct. Okay. So would you say you're one of the enablers of this sector? So we believe we are an enabler. We've done many activations across multiple metaverses. And more specifically, giving you a couple quick examples, we did recently did the Forever 21 a store in Decentraland during Metaverse Fashion Week, which we're going to announce our new Fashion Week in, in a couple of weeks. It will be next next year, but we held that. We had a very, a very great success with that. On average, people spent 27 plus minutes in the store and we had over 3,000 people in the store and 74 million media impressions for Forever 21 around doing that. Another very innovative thing that we've done recently was with Miami Fashion Week. They were the first fashion week to actually integrate the physical and digital world. So while they were doing the physical show in Miami, they live streamed their video content into their store that we built and called L'Atelier in downtown Decentraland, or in the fashion district in Decentraland at least, and ran runway shows and a bunch of other content. And I guess last but not least, the most recent one we've done that would be interesting or what we think is enabling and innovative is the UPS store. So we enabled UPS store, Fast Company and Inc. And what it is, is for SMEs, for small, medium and enterprise businesses to learn about metaverse and NFTs and, and the digital world. And so we're, we've provided content inside the store, four levels of the store where they can actually read and understand about metaverse and educate themselves about it. Okay. That's really cool. Like you mentioned Decentraland and, and so your company is very much, I guess, embedded within the real estate world in the metaverse. So Decentraland has been in the news lately, as you know. So for our audience, it's surfaced that the $1 billion valuation company only had 500 active users, which I guess in the VC world today, it's like, what? What's going on? Usually traction is, is usually a condition of investment. So while there's been some dispute by the company about this incident, it also marks a moment where traditional VCs may be less enamored about investing in the metaverse. How do you respond to that? I'm a big believer that we are definitely here early days. We've seen some of this early days. I was a banker in the 1990s for during the dot-com era, and there were many people that said to me in those days, I, just like they say to me today, you're crazy. Like this is never going to happen. Well, I think we all know the internet has happened and is integral to our life and we couldn't live with it a, a, every day. And so when I look at Decentraland, one, the facts were unfortunately incorrect in that article. And there are Decentraland po posted at Sam Hamilton, who's the producer there, tweet the real data around it and, you know, talked about 50,000 average daily users, a whole bunch of posted other transactions. They didn't look at all the smart contracts, all that type of good stuff. And I'm not going to go through the data. People can look it up. But I think what I come back to is what, what Decentraland is creating is a unique economy, a decentralized economy that doesn't exist in the world today. And so for VCs to look at it and for others to look at it, you have to realize, and we've seen many tech companies over the years, they didn't, you know, I remember the, the olden days, well, they only had users, they didn't have revenue or they didn't have this, or they didn't have that. And this is just one 
of the many examples are we are early, but there are they, what they've done. No one else has ever created. It's pretty special. And it's pretty unique. And I think as as more adoption happens, as more unique content happens, some of the stuff that we talked about is going to drive further and further adoption and further and further use cases. And that valuation is going to make a lot of sense and look at some point in the future to be hopefully very cheap. So I think these are the types of things we're seeing today. And we have to realize that there's an evolution happening here. Okay. So, well, we know that early day, NFTs, rug pulls, cryptocurrency, all these schemes are causing this crypto winter. So um, some would argue that metaverse winter is also here. So, and it, it's really favored, I guess, a lot of the early adopters who have actually profited from these schemes. So what's your view on the viability of this type of model? And is it sustainable? So first of all, just from a metaverse perspective, we obviously own land in 12 plus metaverses today over 850 parcels. We've never sold a parcel and have no intention of selling parcels. So we're here to do this, to build a business long-term and to work with brands and corporations and building out their Web3 strategies and enabling them through the technology that we have. Having said that, 100% some of the early projects were just PFP projects. They didn't have a ton of utility and prices dropped and unfortunately investors got burned with that. I think where you're seeing the evolution and I think where people need to get their mindset around is there's so much more to do with this stuff. And specifically, you go to NFTs, look at what Starbucks announced recently with respect to their loyalty program. I think they're, I think you're going to see evolution in how we use these NFTs. NFTs are going to be exceptionally valuable. You can use them to authenticate things. You can use them for, you know, you have an Apple iPhone, you want to make sure it's an authentic Apple phone, you can tag them with NFTs in the physical and digital world. And so there are so many different utilization cases, whether it's around utility, whether it's around supply chain management. That we've just begun again and and we're going to evolve from just pfp projects to many more other projects in many different verticals including for brands my one of my favorite things i always pick on the expedia travelocity example is those hotel brands those airlines have lost their customers to expedia and travelocity they own the customers this is a way for those types of brands to take the customers back with unique nft projects and you're seeing some of the hotel chains looking at nfts and other things to enhance their community and that it's just going to continue and we're just at the beginning. So like from your perspective, we will evolve from the board eight scenario. <laughs> so so board eight touches on a very something near and dear to my heart. And I'll use this example. I spoke at Harvard Blockchain Conference about six months ago, nine months ago. I can't remember the dates. And sitting in front of the room were a ton of people with board eight merch on their T-shirts and sweatshirts and stuff like that. And the reason I bring that up Obviously, we're dealing with a highly educated group of people. And what was so unique to me about that is Board Apes has created a community and a following. So yes, it was just an initial PFP project, but it has created such excitement around it. You have celebrities, you have now the other side metaverse. They're going to enable those NFTs and, the, and their coin inside that metaverse. And so they're really weaving together a storyboard. And in a reverse way to what you see, we see brands come about every day. We don't question it that way that all of a sudden this is my favorite new t-shirt. It's the reverse of it. They created it through a PFP project. Now they're creating the community, the loyalty, the merch, other games, other things. And so I, I actually think it's quite a unique project and brilliant in the way it's been done. Okay. That sounds really exciting. So one last thing, do you see a time frame when you think this is going to materialize within the mainstream? So I believe it's materializing today. I believe there are different things that need to happen to make it easier and more friendly for 
everyone so that my 90 year old dad will actually embrace NFTs and crypto and all that type of stuff. What I would say is that, you know, we need to stop talking about NFTs. We need to talk about digital collectibles. We need to start talking about wallets and we need to make it easy so that people can access it using their phones like any other app. And so as that type of stuff happens, as AR and VR gets better, as all these use cases and technologies come come into the marketplace, then we'll see more and more people gravitating it. Some of that's starting today and some of it obviously on the hardware side is just going to take longer to get there. And maybe it's two, three, four years, but we're at the early days and it's going to happen much quicker than we expect with this type of stuff. That's great. Well, thank you. And thank you for coming. So we will be right back with our next guest. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome to Altitude Accelerator. This is Tech Uncensored. My name is Hesse Jones, and we are at the Metaverse and 5G Conference in Toronto. And I'm pleased to speak to our next interviewee. His name is Milton Toledo of 3D VR Designs, and he's going to be speaking here at the conference. So welcome and thank you for agreeing to interview with me. Thank you as well. So Milton, you're a hot startup in this space. You're also a client of Altitude Accelerator. So for our audience, you may have recently seen 3D VR in City TV or HGTV for their work in the building and design industry. So my question to you, what tell us a bit about your company. When did you start and what kind of unique problem are you trying to solve? So yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. We basically started this back in 2016. It's been a long journey, but the problem that we're trying to solve is for home buyers to visualize their product before they build a home. That's what basically what we're doing. Okay, awesome. So uh, what what excited you about building this company? Like, especially in this space when it's still fairly nascent, what do you think is going to happen in the future that allows you to actually take a leap into what you're doing today. What actually got me into this is I'm a, I'm an architect designer. I deal with a lot of designers, builders, and I've seen where a homeowner had the difficulty of um, visualizing what their space is going to look like. And since I'm into technology, I basically say, hey, why not try to build an application where we can help and user visualize what the space is going to look like. So. And that's how we basically started dealing with builders, focusing on their product and putting it into our program. So when the homeowner actually is ready to, to do a purchase, they can actually go through all the colors within the application. So it's a lot easier than to look at a two by two sample. Now they're just basically looking at that color within the entire space. Okay. So explain the journey of a person who wants to participate in the metaverse. Like why would they want to do it? And what are the benefits that you see? Like I mentioned, I mean, the benefits are seeing those colors within the entire space, right? So when you are sitting in front of the design center with a designer, you know, they're showing you small samples. We basically incorporate that into the entire space. So that's beneficial for the client is that they're walking around and selecting colors on the spot. So for people in your industry, mm -hmm. like in, in designers or architects, how does this change the game in their profession? I mean, it's, it's a lot easier. It's beneficial for an architect, time consuming, less mistakes happen also on site, because again, you know, when you're building at home, everything is to spec. So if you see that on a 3d application or if it's getting built, I mean, our application is not just visualizing color. You can also see what's behind the walls. So when it comes to putting the help home together, you can go through a 3d image easier than doing it on a 2d image. 
So is it, is there a monetization aspect to it? Can you make more money or is it a savings that you experience? I'll probably say savings, savings. Okay. And how much, how much time would people save by doing it this way? I understand that the idea of the being able to see it visually, but the immersive aspect of it and the ability to, I guess, get it to in front of the client Mm -hmm. faster, I would Mm -hmm. assume that saves time and money. It would be for both for the customer and also for the builder, right? For the customer, as in they can do this from their home. They don't have to rush into do numerous visits to the builder to do the process of buying a home. This can be done from anywhere in the world, right? You can log in at the same time with the builder or the designer and go through all those selections within the application. Okay, cool. So how does 3D VR win in this space? So I've heard from your entrepreneur in residence, Angela Bourne, and she says that your metaverse platform is spectacular (laughs) in terms of its hyper-realism. So do you think that is a point of your competitive advantage? We have a big advantage with that. I mean, there are other companies out there that have something similar, but we've paid very close attention to detail because, again, I mean, this is someone that is going to be buying a home and what they see is what they're, what they get. So all the textures, all the finishes have to be precise. So we took very careful detail on what we're putting on our application. So I would say that the realism versus the central land meta, it's very high end. Very cool. So one last question. So what would you say to entrepreneurs who are interested in pursuing a startup in this space? So what are the things? that you would say you would have learned? I would say looking for the right people to, to get on board, the programmers, people that have experience in uh, whatever software they're using, if it's Unity, Unreal Engine, to get people that have experience, spend the time on getting people that have the ability to do what they want to do. And time, I mean, that's the other thing is focus on, on, on your time and take your time to put all these things together, not just rush into things. Okay, perfect. So. Anyway, thank you for your time. I'm glad you decided to give us a few minutes. Thank you very much. Take care. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Altitude Accelerator. This is Tech Uncensored. My name is Hesse Jones at the Metaverse and 5G Conference in Toronto. And today I'm happy to present David Kraus of Mm -hmm. Siena. And so... David, you're one of the speakers at uh, Metaverse. You have an interesting title. You're a packet architect in the office of the C- CTO. Correct. So, okay. So tell me about your company. Tell me about sure. your role and what you're actually doing to adapt to the advancement of, of the Metaverse. Sure. So uh, Sienna Corporation is a networking services systems and software company. We basically provide equipment and software and other services that fuel or that provide the bandwidth for networks today and the internet being, being a large portion of that. I'm in the office of the CTO where I'm exploring new architectures, new networking architectures and new technologies that can advance the whole concept of providing more bandwidth and lower latency and more intelligent and automated networks. Okay. So we know decentralization is a big part of what the future holds. So when we talk about centralization of things, that's going to go away. So I think from your perspective, that's going to end with, I guess, the emergence of 5G 
that's going to change things a little bit, right? Well, okay. So let's break that question down a little. Okay. So decentralization is one of the key components of what we talk about now with the metaverse. It's also the key premise behind web three, which is a technology or set of technologies that may or may not wind up being the underpinnings of the metaverse. So it's, it is not guaranteed that the concept of decentralization will be successful. Now, that being said, we've, we're off to a pretty good start in terms of how it's progressing. And I'll throw out uh, one example. So there's a company called Helium Networks, which successfully built a decentralized wireless communications network for low power devices. And the way that works is a person would buy their own wireless antenna and, and this then allowed them to build a network and provide connectivity through their own internet connection. Because this was a low powered network, it worked quite well. They're now trying to do this using 5G technology. The question is how scalable is this going to be? And how in the sort of the ecosystem of wireless networks will this play with the larger, more established players? One way to look at it is that this will help the larger players fill in spots that may not be economical for them to deploy equipment. Another way to look at it is it may be a threat to their user base. So I think decentralization is not a sure bet at this mm. point. It has a fantastic philosophy behind it, but we're still in the early days of figuring out how to truly make it work and make mm -hmm. it work scalable. So when you're talking about this concept of ownership in the new web, you're saying that it's still early date to figure out whether or not other, wh whether or not scalable, whether or not people want it, whether or not people, we can even do it. Yeah, it's really a question of whether the concepts that have now been developed that we think we have a good handle on, whether th they can scale and wind up being used practically and then self-sufficient in, in sort of a, I don't know, maybe a circular decentralized economy. Okay. So maybe we should go back and define these things because I've seen the concept or even the definition of metaverse being used interchangeably with Web3. So can you Correct. be the person that clarifies this for us? Well, I can be a person that can attempt to help okay. put some common terms around what we're talking about because the metaverse means different things to different people. And I think at this point, it's still a little hard to define exactly what it is. And I don't necessarily want to be the one person who stands up and says, I know what it is and this is what it is. No, I'm just going to throw out some concepts that I think, well, I hope we can all kind of agree to use as a groundwork, common ground, I should say. So at its core of the metaverse is an immersive, interactive, persistent virtual space or set of platforms that is interconnected and interoperable. But the key is really an immersive, interactive space. Now, one, it, it is also the evolution of the internet. So the internet has primarily been two-dimensional for most of us, and this will be a shift to a three-dimensional internet. The final point about the metaverse um, is that it will be based on, but will not be defined by Web3 technologies. So when we talk about Web3 technologies, we're talking about things like blockchain, NFTs, DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. That's the basis of the decentralization we were talking about right. earlier. The metaverse 
and Web3 are two different things. The metaverse may be enabled by Web3 technologies, but there's nothing to say that the metaverse could not wind up being more central. I didn't realize that. I actually thought that it was a, like a subset and that when you're in a virtual world, the how you play in that world is based on the environment that you're given. And so a blockchain is not necessarily part of like a decentral land, for example. Oh, but it is. Oh, for a decentralized, sorry. Yeah, I mean, because it, it can help track uh, assets, digital assets. But I, I did want to say that Web3 may be a technological component of the metaverse, but extended reality and augmented reality and virtual reality, that too is a component of the metaverse. Well, and additionally, something like going beyond just sight and sound and touch, there could be taste and smell that could be components, technological components that, um, that comprise the metaverse or may be required actually to make the metaverse a truly immersive experience. Okay. Interesting. So let's get back to this concept. Let's assume that metaverse and web three take hold and decentralization yes. becomes, I guess, part of the norm in the future, as well as alternative currency. So how much does this have an impact on the telecom industry? And more importantly, what needs to change from a governance perspective? Yeah, so I guess the, I'll first start off by addressing my earlier example of the helium. That could definitely be a way that decentralization affects telecommunications networks. There are a lot of complexities to that, though. In the example I gave, we were talking about wireless access, but ultimately, the wireless access points require connectivity to the internet, which is provided by wireline. I'm not seeing any potential disruption, say, in, in a more traditional wireline telecommunication space when it comes to something like decentralized technologies. In terms of the governance, I'm not sure it's going to affect that much either. I mean, typically when I try to wrap my head about around what is the metaverse going to do and what is going to be required to, mm -hmm. to make it work and what are carriers or, ser or service providers, what are they going to need to do? It, I think more along the increasing amounts of bandwidth and, and lower latency and, and additional compute and storage. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of characteristics I think are going to be top of mind. It's what's going to be the biggest focus for telecom providers because the metaverse is going to require elements that we have in place today, just a whole lot more of in, when I think about a resource like band I got it. computation. Yeah. I'm not seeing a disruption, say to a traditional telecom provider. Okay. Decentralized. Okay. This is more of a, when I think of governance, I think of this from the perspective of identity. And especially when you start creating, let's say, alter, alternative personas or NFTs, et cetera, and uh, like okay. a virtual version of me, um, how much does that impact how you govern or identify like who is real within this space and who's a person behind yeah, that Yeah, and actually that was just discussed in, oh, in, was in the it? conference here. Yes, it, okay. it, an amazing discussion specifically about identity. And it, it, indeed, there are some very big rocks ahead of us right now in terms of metaverse. So identity management or private governance, as you mentioned in this context, there's also accessibility, commerce, and a lot of these go back to standards. So 
there, there's an issue with the interoperability between platforms that exist today. So take, for example, places like Decentraland, or Roblox or Sandbox, or even Horizons World. There, these are specific instances of platforms that are not necessarily compatible with each other. There are, there's now been a push and there's an organization was created just a few months ago called the Metaverse Standards Forum, which is a place that is trying to pull together what the standards are. They're not going to be creating any standards, but they're trying to help identify what standards need to exist and how the whole ecosystem can come together to, to build these standards. That I think relates directly to your question of governance, mm -hmm. but there's also ethical issues. Oh, absolutely. There's safety issues. I see that. Affordability issues, um, inclusivity issues. Well, education. I mean, this is the one mm -hmm. thing that I worry about is my mom, will she understand how to use this and will she adopt? I can see younger kids adopting this. I don't see how somebody who's been around for a while and they're so used to things being done at a centralized, in, within a centralized structure whether or not they're going to adopt this. But I think time will tell, right? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, one of the, one of the premises of the metaverse is, is creator economy. So the whole idea is for the participants to be creating what they're experiencing. And one of the things I've come across is this concept of codeless programming. So think of Minecraft, where you're kind of dragging and dropping. And now extend that even a little bit further in terms of it's not just something you build or put on top, but it's functions or actions that result, say, from pressing a button. I don't know if that's going to help your grandmother, <laughs> but it may help you and I to yeah. actually be able to create inside the meta out being one of the few people who are coding experts Absolutely. in the languages that underlie everything. It democratizes it for every young person that wants to get into the space. Absolutely. So. Yeah. All right. One last question. So you seem to have confidence in the emergence of this space. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that was just discussed today is that what we're seeing is a convergence of all kinds of different technologies and all of these technologies are going to be enabled. And so I think we're at the very cusp of some of these key enabling technologies starting to coalesce and come together. There's a long road ahead. And we shouldn't be surprised at just how surprised we may be and how quickly some of these things may come together, put in the hands of the right innovative people. But I've got confidence that there's going to be a level of creation and pulling together on this that will amaze us all in, um, in the coming years. Small set. David, thank you for coming by. Thank you. <laughs> okay, take care. Tech and Censored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemex. For more Tech and Censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.